all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. He must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by Leonor Cravota. Good morning, Scott. Your voice sounds great. You were sick yeah. for the last couple of days. We'll, we'll see how it holds up. And I think you got it from me because I obviously, I think I sound worse than you do. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you were uh, not even, you were uh, a last... Uh, you were going to decide at the last minute to do this show today, right? Right. <laughs> so, 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 so far, so good. Yeah, yeah, you sound great. And um, today, uh, you're here, and every week we're doing literary corner. Right. What's today's literary corner? All right. Today's literary corner is we're going to talk about the great Edgar Allan Poe, and then I'm also going to mention uh, briefly a review I wrote of Malcolm Harris's Palo Alto, which is a book that came out within the last few weeks so we'll we'll talk about that later on the hour yep later on the hour and uh you know i was thinking about um where we are and i've been talking about this a lot lately um about how i think you know what's what's going on with this election fraud and the uh i've been having a lot of thoughts about uh the way the fraud was perpetuated and and the need for the globalists to advance their fraud. And, you know, every, with every step that's going on with the Biden administration or the regime, you know, he's coming out with a $6.8 trillion budget, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a complete and total joke. And then they want to uh, advance the 87,000 IRS agents in, in, in that budget. They want to spend for that. Uh, I guess the word equity was mentioned like, 60 times or something, you know, the word equity, um, you know, diversity, equity, and, and inclusion, mm-hmm. um, all of this bull crap that Amer- is so completely uh, in line with communist states and tyrannical governments. But, to, you know, because you can pick your winners and losers, you can give your allies money uh, and take away money from from other sectors. And we're seeing this. Across the board, we're we're starting to see it 
infiltrate into the private businesses of media. Yesterday, there was a big committee hearing on censorship in big tech and the Twitter files and Matt Talibi and Schellenberger um, were both on the hot seat. Uh, basically, they were just giving uh, the, their truth. And they were disrespected by the left. And the left loves the fact that this is all all good. You know, this is all um, being protected. But what we're finding out is there's this new um, industrial complex. It's a censor. censor the censorship industrial complex. Yeah. Well, gonna, like the military industrial complex. So in other words, like with the military industrial complex, it's kind of a, about a... A relationship between government and industry where they're each feeding off of each other. Well, with this, it's the uh, media organizations and government feeding off of each other, the leftist media organizations. Right, which is why they wanted uh, Jankowicz uh, to head the uh, truth czar. Yeah. And it's, it's the reason why uh, the press secretaries uh, under the Biden regime have been calling for censorship. And the FBI has been uh, completely discredited with this and they have been strong arming creating disinformation it's a different disinformation machine so much so that every single place you turn whether it's the Nord Stream 2 whodunit uh, we're going to address a little bit of that um, because now it, they're going to blame Ukraine why? because we paid Ukraine $100 billion to say yes you know I mean Ukraine, you're going to take the hit for this, okay? Otherwise, we're not going to pay you. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of like, you're going to fire the prosecutor that's investigating my son, or we're not going to pay you the billion dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, is it any different? Yeah. And how many of these people are getting paid off to si- be silenced? And and if, if if they don't want to take the money, you have a choice. You can either take my $10 million and live happily ever after and shut up mm-hmm. and shut the investigation down against Hunter, or we're going to basically make your life a living hell, and we're going to arrest your family, and we're going to uh, plant drugs on them, and we're going to maybe, or, or kill them. Either way, you're going to do what we want you to do because we have the power of the government behind us. So you're going to do whatever it takes. And, you know, I would imagine that Talibi and... And Schellenberger are probably in danger, mm-hmm. uh, as what as I would expect. I think Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would not be surprised if something were to happen to Tucker Carlson. Um, I was always worried about Donald Trump. You know, they hate these people so much because they speak the truth, the truth to power. But we get here because of this election fraud. Because nobody wants climate hoaxes. Nobody wants Russian hoaxes. Nobody wants this fake Ukrainian impeachment uh, hoax. Nobody wants, you know, these gay whistleblowers like Eric Ciaramella and Sean Misko and a whole bunch of, you know, dodo brains from the State Department uh, all throughout, you know, Victoria Newland rigging elections all around the world. Samantha Power paying off warlords and tribal uh, leaders uh, to rig governments. Um, our government is so profoundly corrupt, it's not even funny. And the thing is, is that, you know, I remember I had um, uh, a Trump attorney on. Who was the Trump attorney I interviewed? Um, Her first name was uh, Christine, uh, Christina. Christina. 
Yeah, Christina. Yeah. I am, I'm, the name, the yeah. last name is Blah okay. Blank. You got it. But she had a good book. Yeah. <laughs> she, 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 um, and she was talking about, um, uh, you're going to look it up. I'm going to see if be, I can figure it out yeah. while we're sitting here. You know, every now and Christina then. Christina <laughs> or something like that? Yeah. Um, in any case, no, no, no. We were talking Chris, about it. Christina Bob? Was yeah, that? Christina Bob. All right. I tell you, to see how quickly you find it, that's that wonderful thing they invented about 27 years ago. Yeah. Everybody knows I don't lo- really love doing um, interviews. and 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 He doesn't like it because that means he has to remember people's names. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, the thing is, is that we, we had her on and we were talking about it and I said something that I never hear the mainstream media say. I never hear them say it. And... It is that there is a correlation, there is a connection between the open borders and the people that are coming in. And for over a decade, I remember, remember the um, um, Bobby Jindal? Mm -hmm. I remember him saying, Bobby Jindal from Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, and I heard him him speak when when we we were in Philadelphia. Yeah, and he was a rhino, too. He turned out to be a flake. But um, Bobby Jindal... I only say the name because we're going that far back. Yeah, we're going, we're okay. going, we're going back about nine years. No, more than that. Any more than that? Yeah, more than that. But he came out and said, "Yeah, people are getting dropped off in Louisiana, and uh, in the middle of the night, and I don't even know who these people are. I'm the governor of Louisiana. Yeah, right. And so this has been going on for over a decade now, and it started with the Obama regime." And everything that you're seeing uh, in the Biden regime is basically an extension of the Obama regime. Mm-hmm. The open borders, you know, the attack on America uh, liberties, mm-hmm. and the whole thing is really just an extension. That's why we have Susan Rice in the as an advisor in the Biden cabinet. That's why you have uh, Jake Sullivan controlling the foreign policy. And it's um, it's really uh, a new and improved Obama. And, you know, we are all heard that clip. Obama said, um, you know, I would like to be behind the scenes. I would much rather be the puppet master controlling the puppets rather than to be the front man out there all the time. Mm-hmm. I would much rather be behind the scenes, almost like the director to a play, right? I would rather do that. And he said that on on an interview. It was profound. He was on his way out. And and that's what's happening now. Only he's better at it. You know, he's gotten really good at it. And plus, their snowball's bigger. They have more leverage. They have more power. uh, Because this thing has gone in a, a positive direction for them, not for the country. And I think what's happening is they're bringing in, in, I've said this a a bunch of times, but the only reason why I'm going to continue to say it is because I know it to be true, but I don't hear any other talk show hosts or news organizations saying it ever. And that is that I think that there's a connection between these people that are being allowed to come into our country, put on a bus or a plane and dropped off in all these different locations I'll be honest, I had a dream last night, and the dream was about, I kept on dreaming about Anfill, Michigan, that, 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 that county mm-hmm. that was really corrupt. And 
And then I kept thinking, I was dream, dreaming about the, the guy that gave a, uh, who's out in Phoenix or, or Maricopa County, giving some testimony. Mm-hmm. And the testimony he was giving was how the, the numbers of votes don't jive with the, sen- the census. Yeah. So the, if you look at the patterns of the census and you look at the pattern of the voter turnout prior to mail-in balloting and ballot harvesting and open borders, the gradual curves, the, 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 the curves associated with what they consider to be normal, the trend was a certain number. Uh, going back to the, like the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And then all of a sudden... Um, there's this like real weird set of numbers associated with associated with um, mail-in balloting and ballot harvesting and and 30 days to vote and all these things. And if you think about it from a strategic perspective, then it makes perfect sense. All these people flood in. You give them registrations. You give them registrations. Uh, because they could register to vote. It's based on the honor system. They can re- register to vote. This is my address. I'm a citizen. Uh, I'm, a, I'm living in this county. And this is my address. And I want to vote. And they, they, the same people are pushing no ID to vote. Right? You don't need an ID to vote. So I just, it's based on the honor system. So next thing you know, they get a registration. The registration gets a ballot. The harvester picks up the ballot, and they have 30 days to pick up these ballots. And you say, well, in most cases, you know, it makes sense. Okay, so there's no there's no 110% turnout. But what they're getting is they're getting an 85% turnout when the candidate like Katie Hobbs or Joe Biden would never, ever generate an 85% enthusiasm. Just look at Biden, look at the polls, and the polls indicate that 62% of Democrats don't want him to run again. This is just two years after he got 81 million votes. Mm -hmm. So how in the world did that flip so fast, right? And yet he's touting all these great things. Well, we're going to have a jobs number that's going to come out, and it's not going to be very good. And the stock market's uh, not doing well right now, and it's probably poised to collapse. Inflation's going sky high, and the housing market's going to uh, ultimately take a dip. So, I mean, none of it's going in the right direction. Look at inflation. Look at what it costs. If you can get eggs, look at what it's co- costing for eggs. You know, um, I, I want to read this meme to you. It's, uh, remember, uh, Leonora, you remember in 1987 when it says, this is your brain on drugs and yep. you're frying an egg? Yep. One of the best anti-drug commercials oh, absolutely on the planet, it's right? so memorable four decades later well in 2023 in 1987 it says this is your brain on drugs and there's a frying pan with an egg 2023 you can't afford the egg the gas stove is being outlawed and the only thing you can get is the drugs yeah right Open that's borders you know the exact opposite of what we were trying to do yeah, up is down, black is white, and the sky is purple in 2023. That's what I said to that. But, um, you know, so the idea is is that with these ballot harvesters, they're, you know, they're basically processing ballots. They're not trying to appeal to voters because whether they appeal to the voter or not, they're going to get 85% 
of the registered ballots. And obviously, Ronna McDaniel doesn't care. She thinks that she could do a better job than the Democrats, who basically every, every single person that works these voter precincts uh, through diversity, equity, and inclusion has got a job because they're a libtard. And it's all equity-based. And so it's a whole bunch of liberals running the election fraud at the systematic level. So, and Ronna McDaniel's dumb enough to think that she could beat that system mm-hmm. when everybody that's working the polls and everybody that's working the elections that's paid by the counties, the cities, the states, and the federal government are all on the other side. Yeah. And she's dumb enough to think that this works. Now, we got to, yeah, of course, we got to try to beat them at their own game, but we can't win that game because we don't have the infrastructure that they have. And they've given themselves 30 days. And I, I had this dream, and I said, I wish one day, just once, I wish there was a Supreme Court somewhere that would say, we're going to go ahead and see if there are some problems. So the only way we're going to be able to see, you know how like they do um, trial tests? Mm-hmm. They have placebos in one group, and they have... The real drug in another yeah, group, yes. Yeah. They could do it, half the country does it one way, and half the country does it another, see if there's anomalies. Or, for one election, and one election only, we're going to go back to the old-fashioned paper ballot, and we're going to have, everybody has to show up, and it's going to be one day, and we're going to see how this thing works out. Well, i got to say... Just and so- I guarantee you, the numbers will be completely different, and the, re- the Republicans would win in a, a landslide equivalent to when Nixon beat McGovern. Exactly. Well... Uh, you know, from a personal perspective, I actually think, having done a paper ballot a few, within the last few years, I actually think the paper ballots are actually pretty easy to use versus, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, we were using um, electronic uh, balloting because based on the state we were in. I, you know, it's, it's very simple. You just fill the form out and you shut and, you, and it goes through a scanner and that's it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and, it's and, no and, big deal. And you know what? It doesn't even have to go through a scanner. Yeah. There was a day when we didn't have scanners. I mean, the thing is, when I walk into a precinct, they only let they only allow a certain number of people to walk in. Right. You have to wait in line outside of the precinct, right? right? Yeah. And so when you go in, there's basically a worker for every voter. Right. And they sign you and, in. They yeah, check your ID if, if, if necessary. And guess what? Do the math. Yeah. Okay, folks at home, at home do the math. How long does it take the uh, election worker that's working the precinct? If there's one to one, right? There's basically an election one wor- election worker for every voter that's in the precinct voting. Everybody else is in a line outside. How long do you think it takes to fill the ballot out? As as good as five minutes, maybe. Yeah. It t- if it's a long ballot, if it's and a long a ballot, a whole bunch of stuff on there. How long do you think it takes to count that ballot? One. That, oh, that's 10 seconds. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is that it's not hard for manual counting to keep pace yeah. with the number of voters. Yeah. If anything, though, they got to make these ballots easier to fill out so that a person reasonably could fill the ballot out in one minute. Yeah. And they, they need to look at stuff like that. Yeah. And, and maybe not pile on so many things onto a ballot. And make these other special ballots uh, for different um, mm-hmm. different uh, 
funding things. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe do that on a different day for just your county if if you're interested in that. But there's, and I guarantee you, if the voter was the one, if if the uh, candidates had to appeal to the voter, I guarantee you that the enthusiasm from the Democrat voters who don't even know they're voting in this new system of ours, um, because there's so many ballots that are being picked up and being voted, and the person who's associated with that ballot, who got the, some registration that they don't even know about, is is the one that's... Um, I mean, I, I would imagine that the number is in the millions of, of votes, where if you were to track them down and go door to door, did you vote? Mm-hmm. And they say, no, I, never, I didn't vote. And they say, well, your ballot did. Yeah. And they say, oh, that's news to me. Yeah. You know, so that's what's going on. I think that's totally the biggest problem we have that we're facing right now is this ballot harvesting thing. And and what do we get in return for it, right? We get this. We get a lying Merrick Garland. We get a lying Justice Department. We get lying CDC. We get lying media. We get a lying um, set of politicians from the Democrats. We get a lying... They lied about J6, right? They lied about... Um, uh, the Russian hoax. They lied. Jesse Smollett lied, and they tried to perpetrate and push all of these negatives upon one man. That one man's name is Donald Trump, because he was going to change the system and he was going to expose the truth, just like he did in the Middle East with ISIS and and the oil uh, pipelines and the and ISIS being paid mercenaries to protect the oil lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and the overthrow of governments who are acting as toll collectors like Egypt and Libya and the globalists that were benefiting from this cheap oil going into Europe, all so that they could compete uh, with Russia, who is making a mint. And that's why they shut down his Nord Stream 2, because they're profiting from the Polish pipeline and the, the pipeline coming out of Syria, which is why Syria and Turkey are back in the news because we're sending troops now over there again and we're trying to restart that. So think about it. Before Trump came along, we had an ISIS problem and we had laundering in Ukraine. And those are two things. We were overthrowing the Ukraine government in 2014 and we were running uh, guns and, and, and ammo into Ukraine and we had ISIS. We had the pipelines coming out of um, Iraq, and we had Ukraine as a puppet country to the United States politicians. And that's exactly what they want to put back in place. They want to reestablish Syria, uh, the conflict in Syria, and they want the Ukraine peace. There is a connecting, connection there through all the Balkan states, and it was, it, was a, it was a cottage business. And people like Lindsey Graham and John McCain were there every step of the way. Well, let's take a listen to uh, what Tucker had to say about lying Merrick Garland. Because, again, this, we, we get this, these lies. And we get this corruption. And they never tell the truth. They lie about open... They lie that the economy is good. They lie that the border is secure. They're lying. They lied about the vaccine being effective. That you know, they're lying about every doggone thing. They're lying about who's getting taxed. Everybody's getting fleeced by this inflation. 
and you know it. And it's a theft from the middle class to the elite. Um, it was just like COVID was a theft from the middle class to the elite. So is the new war uh, arms race of the new Cold War that we have forged ahead with with Russia. Because now they're out of the START missile treaty. Guess what? The military industrial complex is going to go on full tilt, making the most expensive uh, hypersonic weapons to keep pace with our, our av- geopolitical adversaries. And that's going to make the military-industrial complex rich again. And again, who's going to foot the bill? The middle class. What is that? That is a theft of wealth from the middle class to the military-industrial complex, to Pfizer, to the World Economic Forum, and the globalists. That's what it is. And who's going to benefit from that? The media. Because they're going to get those ad dollars from those very wealthy things so long as they play ball and keep on with the narrative. It's a vicious cycle, and it's been happening for way too long. Five officers died on that day. Now, that's just not some guy on Twitter. That's the Attorney General of the United States. That's a man whose honesty is central to his job. If you had a choice between IQ and integrity in an Attorney General, of course you would go with integrity because it's essential. Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, is a liar. He just lied about something that is provably false. Who are these five officers who were, quote, killed that day? Notice he didn't tell you. No one ever tells you. No one ever shows you their autopsies. They don't want any detail. They just want the slogan. Five. Yeah, there's no accountability whatsoever for anything. And when was the last time somebody went to went to jail or lost their job over like Epstein getting murdered in his cell with no video working. <laughs> did uh, anybody lose their job? No, I don't I mean, think anybody did. Like, like it's, it's just like, it, did Jesse Smollett, you know, spend hardly any time in jail? No, not really. I mean, they let him out before he even got his shoes off. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's just, you know, here, Julie Kelly. Julie Kelly has been following J6. She says, breaking, drama. In the Proud Boys trial, yes, uh, Wednesday, I guess it was, after FBI agent caught lying on the stand. FBI agent lying on the stand, caught lying on the stand, and concealing evidence from defense attorneys. Reminds me of, you know, the shaman, uh, the QAnon shaman, whose attorney basically said, you know, it would have been nice to have that discovery of the QAnon shaman getting escorted through the Capitol. Tucker had his parents on, a parent and attorney on last night. Turns out he had some poor representation. Yeah. Representation, but motion filed this uh, this morning from Nick Smith, attorney representing Ethan Nordine. This is what happens when a rogue, corrupt FBI. Uh, is allowed to lie to the public without withhold information and operate without oversight by Congress. This agent uh, or someone deleted thousands of messages in FBI's link system, messaging system, messages relevant to investigation and required to be produ- produced to defense counsel. What message did FBI conceal from defense? A request by an FBI informant to alter an official CHS confidential human source report. And brazen lawlessness at FBI in its biggest January 6th case. Boss instructs FBI agent to destroy hundreds 
of items of evidence. If this is a slam dunk case of seditious conspiracy, why is the FBI destroying hiding evidence? Even more egregious, FBI accessed emails between one defendant and his attorney and discussed its contents. The agent apparently knew one defendant planned to go to trial. The judge excused the jury as soon as this info was revealed in court yesterday, hearing shortly. Okay, so that was Wednesday. Um, It's just absolutely out of control, this corruption. We're in a banana republic. They lied to Gorbachev, apparently, because Gorbachev was promised NATO would not expand one inch if he gave up East Germany. Not one inch. In 2014, Victoria Newland and company signed the Minsk Agreement, guaranteeing Russia's security. Then armed Ukraine to the teeth on the black market and with bioweapons to boot. Victoria Nuland from the State Department, NATO, and the warmongering U.S. neocons lied and Ukrainians died. Gorbachev said that uh, that's... Uh, Gorbachev um, made... Uh, actually, no, that was... that. I'm reading the wrong thing here, but uh, that was another piece. Um But yeah, that's, uh, and there's a map, there's an animated map showing the growth and the uh, encroachment of NATO near Russia. And if uh, it was, the shoe was reversed and they were pulling this stunt in Mexico, of course, this would never fly. All right, so we talked about the big hearing uh, yesterday, Mm -hmm. and uh, this was big. I want to play a clip from the Tucker piece. Uh, Tucker covered this last night. And he had a really good interview with Stellenberger. Schellenberger. Michael Schellenberger. And uh, here's what Tucker Carlson had to say. So of all the stories we covered, the Twitter files, what we've learned from Elon Musk's archive at Twitter, really is one of the few that will endure. It's probably the most consequential investigative journalism in memory. And that journalism proves that the highest levels of the federal government coordinated with the social media companies to suppress dissent, to end the First Amendment, freedom of speech. Today, the House Judiciary Committee held hearings on this story. Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett used the opportunity to attack two of the journalists behind the Twitter files, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger. The Republicans have brought in two of Elon Musk's public scribes to release cherry-picked, out-of-context emails and screenshots designed to promote his chosen narrative, Elon Musk's chosen narrative that is now being parroted by the Republicans because the Republicans think that these witnesses will tell a story that's going to help them out politically. This isn't just a matter of what data was given to these so-called journalists before us now. Mr. Chairman, I'm not exaggerating when, when I say that you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's almost unbelievable that a fascist like that could wind up in the U.S. Congress arguing in Congress for censorship. It's beyond. Michael Schellenberger is one of the journalists who brought us this information. He's the founder of the Substack Public. He joins us tonight. Michael Schellenberger, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, there's so much to the story. We could spend three hours. We probably should. Um, But how, how did you respond to statements like that in the U.S. Congress, a sitting member of Congress saying that. 
Well, it was a very disturbing event, uh, Tucker, as you as you pointed out. I mean, this is uh, they then proceeded to demand to know who our sources were, which, of course, uh, we were unwilling to share with them. And it's important to remember the context here. We were revealing here this is way beyond uh, woke censorship within Twitter. Right. We have now discovered a censorship industrial complex that includes uh, government-funded entities that are doing state-sponsored censorship, and it includes Department of Homeland, uh, uh, you know, the Department of Homeland Security agencies. We have the FBI involved. They've now working with the National Science Foundation to make forty million dollars worth of grants to create little censorship centers in universities around the country, all done in the name of fighting disinformation, but in fact are spreading disinformation, spreading conspiracy theories, as we saw them do with the Russia, uh, with Russia Gate, the Russia hoax. We saw them spread the conspiracy theories around Hunter Biden's laptop. They are now seeking widespread use of artificial intelligence to censor accurate information. We've now seen Facebook and Twitter uh, caught uh, censoring accurate information about uh, coronavirus uh, vaccinations because they were worried that it would lead to vaccine hesitancy. So this story has really evolved. There's much more to say on it. We're still discovering a lot of information. But what you're basically seeing here is the rise of a for-profit censorship industry funded by American taxpayers to censor real-world information. And this is basically a turning of the national security state from the kind of psychological operations they they launched abroad into the United States using the exact same kind of influence operation tactics that they used abroad on the American people. It's a huge scandal. A lot more to come on the story in the weeks and months to come. But it's also just blatantly illegal. This is against law. This is a crime. This is against the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights. How, wh- how can this, Why has no one been arrested for this? I don't understand. Well, I mean, we've all just sort of stumbled across it. At first, we couldn't figure out why it was that you had uh, DHS and FBI and all these in the White House uh, interfering and making demands on the social media platforms to censor people. And then we realized that it was actually very well organized. It was coordinated. There was efforts by various think tanks to insist that reporters not properly cover the Hunter Biden laptop story, pre-bunking it in advance. It's incredibly well coordinated. It's very shocking. And you're absolutely right. Right. The U.S. government cannot infringe upon the right of media companies to protect free speech. You cannot hire somebody to censor. So this right. subcontracting, the contracting with, with, uh, of taxpayer money of organizations to engage in censorship is absolutely illegal. We've been promised, there was many people we met with today in Congress who have promised to get to the bottom of it. We've got to defund and dismantle the censorship industrial uh, complex before uh, it really uh, undermines the whole our whole democratic system. Yeah, it's a crime. It's that simple. And we so appreciate your journalism. As always. Uh, I remember um, we had a caller call in and then they hung up. Yeah. Uh, but um, in any case, um, I I remember seeing this guy talking about if, if uh, I think it was the 2016 election, and he was saying that. Zuckerberg, if he just hits like one one keystroke uh, and sends out a mail blast promoting Hillary Clinton just one time, he he could have resulted in it could have resulted in like four hundred thousand votes that uh, would have changed the outcome of an election. I'm not surprised by that yeah. because think and, of the power of Facebook. And so you know, of course, they're taking this to a whole nother level. This is systematic, and not only that, but it's being supported by ta- conservative tax dollars. Yeah. Are going into the government 
And the government is then one-sidedly, you know, it's, it's no different than when, you know, they would take conservative taxpayer dollars and then give $500 million to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And then Planned Parenthood would turn around and give 99.8% of all of their political donations back to just simply Democrats only. Right. And how you know how does that how does that work? I mean that that's just not that's not fair. It's 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 like you're you're paying your adversary to fight you. Yeah. It's sort of you know yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I did want to mention uh, that we did get the jobs report. Okay. So the non-farm payrolls rose by three hundred eleven thousand for the month, uh, which was above the original forecast of two twenty two hundred twenty five thousand. So we had three hundred eleven thousand new jobs versus the two hundred twenty five thousand that were forecasted, and unemployment is three point six percent. They were expected it. They expected it to be at three point four percent, but the way this looks. This is very interesting because despite all the problems we're having with supply chains and inflation and everything, these numbers in terms of job growth and inflation and uh, unemployment look very good. So, of course, Biden is going to spin this in a way to make him look better. But the reality is, and we're not we're not going to get into this type of discussion right now. I'm sure behind those numbers, there are a lot of uh, underemployed people, who, you know, people who are who stop looking for jobs and other uh Situations that are not reflected in those lower numbers. I don't understand because I study um, I study the labor participation rate. Yeah, the labor participation rate is still not at 2019 levels. Yeah. So yeah, the um, the the more the further we get away from non mask wearing, and the further we get entrenched in people having to now reemerge and show back up at work. Right. Right. All these things are starting to happen. Um. We're still not at pre-pandemic levels for labor participation rates. And also, the GDP is not reflective yeah. of that kind of manpower, right? Yeah. So the, when you have a jobs number like that, you should have a really high labor participation rate. And it's still not pre-pandemic. It's not 2019 levels under like we saw under Trump. And... The GDP, uh, I don't know what the GDP is now, but the last I checked, uh, it was still paling in comparison. And then you you take into consideration uh, inflation, and you realize that even though the salary might be commensurate with what the salary was in 2019, it pales in comparison because of inflation, which is at near 6%. So... I mean, we're looking at a really uh, interesting dynamic, and uh, and the other uh, thing that I think is uh, is uh, profoundly important is that the spending under the Biden regime was nothing more than a kicking the can down the road. It was basically juicing the economy at the expense of devaluing the dollar, which is the reason why all of that spending is why it is that they're predicting the Fed will have at least three more upticks of a 20.25%, mm-hmm. you know, a quarter of 1%. They're, they're, it's going to go up almost a whole nother point mm-hmm. in, the, in the Fed. Um, they're going to have to raise that to slow the economy down uh, from this spending. But 
Then you take a look at other numbers that are really important. And, uh, you know, this isn't a finance show, but basically um, the other the other th- factors are the, the national debt. And I'm yeah. not talking about the national debt from a federal government perspective. That's bad. That's got to be uh, with this budget proposal uh, that Biden came out with, $6.8 trillion, uh, You're looking at $52 trillion in debt in yeah. a matter of like 2030. But no, I'm talking about personal debt i'm talking about rents they can't afford to pay the rent i'm talking about foreclosures starting to spike i'm talking about defaults on your rent and being you know homeless homeless rates are skyrocketing yeah and then uh if you look at the credit card debt um it's higher than it's been in a long long time so people are over leveraged and yeah it's just a matter of time before the interest rates are going to not only go up because of the prime rate. Yeah, they're going to the interest. The, the lending interest rates are going to yeah. are going to go up. Yeah, and 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 then people are going to realize I can't pay my credit card. Right, and I'm already over leveraged with it. You know, so and what happens is people have a hierarchy of needs, and if they have a mortgage or a rent to pay first, they yeah. will pay that before they pay their credit card, and that's why they they will you know they'll charge off the credit card. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, morning, guys. Uh, I heard a statistic that was astounding, exactly like what you're both talking about right now. They said that there was, and I'm not going to give the exact figures because I can't remember, but I'm going to give them close as I can. They said there's about 10 million or so people that are not working. However, there's like 6 million that are available. So the proportion was astronomically out of whack. And my point here is, I might give myself an example. I'm 70 years old. I went to work. I'm on Social Security. I went to work because I needed the extra work, extra money. At a brand-new facility, it was a casino and restaurant. Gorgeous. Brand-new place. You spent $15 million out here in South Dakota. Uh, They paid me $14 an hour. However, I was working with 16-year-olds that... Probably, I don't know how to describe them, but they're not very good workers, to say the least. And they were paying me the same. I didn't mind that so much as paying me the same. But I couldn't take it because the laziness and who they were hiring as 16-year-olds, these kids, I'll give you an example. They hired me as a host. The other kids that they hired as a host, too, the maturity wasn't there. Um, They came in tattooed. Nose piercing out of their noses, and these these were the kids they were hiring to greet these guests coming into this multi-million dollar facility, brand new. And they would stand there; they could barely say hi to the people, welcome or anything. They actually look at them. I think this is the problem, <laughs> and this is why there's there's no they can't even find people to work at this place, and the people they do hire are these 16-year-olds tattooed up, pierced-eared, don't care, looking at their cell phones all day long at work. So this is where that disproportion is. This is why you have all these, I don't want to work there anymore. I quit. I couldn't take it. And this is why I'm not working now, even though the job's available. you got to find something that's accommodating. So I don't know here. I don't know if I have an answer for this, my own question. All right. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for calling in thank on you. that. Yeah, thank thank you. you for sharing, right. that, sharing take, that insight. Take care. Yeah, thank that's a, that's a real, right. that's a really good point because uh, there are, there are people who are out there who want to work, and if the environment is unpleasant, they, they may make other options. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to um, Tom Massey discusses Pfizer board member Scott Gottlieb's role in censoring tweets about natural immunity. So this again was part of that committee hearing, but this was about politicians being censored. I also found as a result of the FOIA, CDC tracks Mass- every tweet Tom that Massey. Congressman puts out. Not just Republican, but Democrat. They keep a spreadsheet, they make it every week. Uh, this showed up in the FOIA for me, because I'm in their spreadsheet that they track. Why is this interesting? Okay, so they're tracking Congressman's tweets at CDC. They're enrolled in the partner support uh, portal at, uh, at Twitter. And then I found, this is why, um, I found Alex Berenson's report very interesting, because uh, what he found out is that Scott Gottlieb Worked hard and, and Twitter complied, it looks like, to censor a tweet from a doctor about natural immunity. Guess what? On the same day that that doctor's tweet was censored, so were my tweets on natural immunity. Why is this important? What is, what is consequential about the date? This is three days after the military vaccine mandate came out and a week before the federal vaccine mandates came out. This truth was toxic to, to a narrative that Pfizer was spreading, that Joe Biden wanted out there so that he could force the vaccine on everybody, whether you'd had natural immunity or not. Now, I actually, you guys might not agree with me on this. I don't think the press gets special privileges on the First Amendment. I, think, I don't think Congress does. I think every American, by virtue of being an American, is, has the right to free speech enshrined in the Constitution. So I'm not so much worried that they, they uh, censored a, a congressman, but they disabled all the comments from my constituents. Those are the voices they squelched. And my beef is not with Twitter, but my beef is with the CDC and these federal agencies. And I encourage you all, if you can, to find more about. Oh, well, you know, um, it's came over for Fauci because uh, I played the clip yesterday, but Redfield, CDC's Redfield Mm -hmm. just threw Fauci under the bus. There you go. It would happen eventually. Yeah. Okay. So we we really have to we have to make time for. Literary Corner. Yes. Uh, we're going to be talking about Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. And the floor is yours. Okay. Well, we're uh, as we discussed, we're going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe, you know, the literary genius who was born in 1809 and died in 1849. Um, he, you know, he's most known for the macabre stories that he wrote, uh, you know, here. And he also uh, has had a lasting impact on popular culture because many of his short stories were made into films, uh, you know, going back over the last uh, century. And some of the more famous ones were in the 60s, where we had uh, Vincent Price appearing in some of his, uh, f- in, in about six or seven Edgar Allen uh, post stories, Vincent Price starred at it. And, you know, everybody thinks of Vincent Price as sort of playing like vampires and ghoulish people, even though if you find Vincent Price from his early years, he was playing, you know, the typical young man roles, you know, like in the movie Laura. But... Uh, so, so getting back to Edgar Allan Poe, he was uh, he was basically um, he was he spent his lifetime um, trying to feel relevant. He was he was born um, in Boston, and his parents died, so he was he was raised by another family. He was he, he his real name was Poe. He was raised by the Allens, but the Allens never adopted him, and so he never got over the fact that he wasn't adopted by the Allens. And this created a lot of resentment for him. He never felt like he was accepted. And so he went from city to city 
never never really feeling like he had a place he never felt at home at richmond because that was where his uh, his stepfather lived because nobody recognized him as mr allen's son he um you know he spent time in, in new york he spent time in philadelphia he spent time in baltimore I would say that it was when he lived in Philadelphia that he had his greatest flourishing because that's when he wrote some of his best stories like uh, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Purloin Letter, The Black Cat, all The Fall of the House of Usher, all the dark stories that you think of when you think of, uh, of Poe. But it was when he moved to New York that he wrote the piece, the poem that he would be forever associated. Scott, can you tell the audience what that poem is? I think so. Um, the Raven? Yes, it's called The Raven. And uh, The Raven is this very interesting poem, and I'm going to just read a few stanzas from it. Yeah, because well, okay, just for the folks back at, uh, at home. Um, if, if you were to read the whole thing, it would take you about seven minutes. About seven minutes. Okay, so you're going to read excerpts. I'm just going to read a yeah. few stanzas just for, just for the fun of it. Okay, The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this and nothing more.' Ah, distinctly, I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished the morrow. Vainly, I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore, and the silken and uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before so that now to still the beating of my heart i stood repeating tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door some late some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door this it is and nothing more so again, this is the, the visitor, as we will all find out, is the raven, the bird. And of course, as you heard me say, he talks about a maiden whom the angels name Lenora. And as you all know, my name is Leonora. So I will relay a funny anecdote from when I was a child. When I was about 10 years old, my fifth grade English teacher read this poem aloud. And and starts to, and there's more lines as you go through it about the lost Lenore. They go over and over about the lost Lenore. And I'm squirming in my seat mm-hmm. because everybody's staring at me thinking I'm the lost Lenore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but it's Leonora. It, no, but it's, a, it's the yeah. same type of name. It's like saying Eleonora or Eleanor or whatever. So, so, that's, so that is what he became the most famous for. And if you go to Boston, which is where he was born, there is a famous re- statue of Edgar Allan Poe carrying a raven and a bunch of books and paperwork because it was as if he was always running racing trying to get somewhere else and then and then he died and when he died he was found uh on the street in somebody else's clothes on the um it's a good night uh, yeah, well maybe not no. but he was found he was found on the floor in clothes that didn't look like they fit him somebody dragged him into a pub 
you know, they they realized that this is a gentleman, and it took about four or five days for them to identify him, and then he then he then he then he died. That's a wild night. Mm-hmm. He he uh, drank himself to death. He he drank himself to death. But but if he knew how well he how well he was received and how All many right. cities claim him now, he he would be very happy. Let so, me ask you something. Why yeah. do these writers that you keep gravitating to, like Fitzgerald? And Edgar Allan Poe, why are they drinking themselves to death? Because Fitzgerald drank himself to death, and Edgar Allan Poe did as well. Because the because I think sometimes people feel things so deeply, and they're always struggling for the answers. And this is an age-old situation with uh, substance abuses. People are always looking for the answers somewhere, and... And some, and you know, I'm not trying to get into an AA speech here. That's not the point. But the point is, they are, they struggle. They struggle with mm-hmm. different things, and so that's so. So it is interesting that the, the last two that we've we've talked about have been people who more or less drunk, drunk drunk themselves to death, and also didn't realize the full extent of their fame while they were alive. They were famous, but in both cases, and another point I want to add to your comment, Scott. Both Edgar Allan Poe and Fitzgerald. Even though they were both widely famous while they were alive, they were both always looking for money. It was Edgar Allan Poe never seemed to have enough money, and the Fitzgeralds spent whatever they had, and so he also died with not as much money as he could have had. So it's an interesting story. Now, before we get out of Dodge, I do want to mention an article that I just wrote for the American Spectator. It is a review of a book called Palo Alto. And it's uh, it's the name the full name of the book is Palo Alto: A History of California Capitalism and the World. It's written by a millennial writer named Malcolm Harris, who actually is somebody who participated in the Occupy Wall Street movement. He, you know, who wouldn't be somebody who I would typically review, but I just thought that his attempt to talk about 150 years of capitalism was a very ambitious undertaking. So I thought it was worth writing about. And, uh, you know, and again, you have to visit spectator.org to read my review. Uh, go, go to spectator.org. I'm on the front page. You'll see me um, right there, Leonora Cravota. And you'll and you'll see the Edgar Allan Poe article that I mentioned, but you'll also see this Palo Alto review. And, you know, I'll just give a, a quick comment about what my assessment was. My assessment was it had some good moments, but it basically was a very dark view of the world and, you know, capitalism, while it is it has created some ills, uh, both in the past and in the present, it is certainly uh, not responsible for everything that has gone wrong in California or gone wrong in the world. And it is also created, getting back to Fitzgerald, it has created uh, the rise of merit-based meritocracy and, and uh, merit-based wealth. Well, interestingly, um, I, I recently just fell upon an ad, uh, uh, Apple, Yeah, their first ad uh, showed their address is Palo Alto. Yeah. And it wasn't Cupertino, it was Palo Alto. So. And, and they priced their unit, the first one that they were selling, this was like 1976 yeah. or something. And they, they were pricing it at $666.66. The, the, the first uh, model? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, Why in the world 666? That? Isn't that the yeah. devil? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, that's the point. Um, in any case, uh, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can to find out how we're, and find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again with the Scott Adams Show, Red State Talk Radio. Thank you to L1180 WFYL in Philadelphia. Um, use Red State over at MyPillow.com. 
And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.